Hello. Hello. I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. And we're Dragon Babies. We're back. We reread our favorite YA fantasy classics and discuss why they may be even better for adults. Yes. This week, Tamsin by Peter S. Spiegel. Wow. Ghost meows. It took us a while to produce this one for a wide range of reasons, um, but one of them was just that it is an incredible book, but a traumatizing book in some ways. It, yeah, it was a bit tough for it's, me to get through. It's a little painful at yeah. times. For um, anyone who had like any kind of rough adolescence, um, I, I feel like it, it was, you know, elicited some of those memories. Yeah, and just in general has ever felt like an outsider. Yeah. Um, it really takes you back to being 13. And ostracized by your peers. <laughs> yeah, and especially being, I would say, a 13-year-old girl. Um, yeah. And it's very interesting that Peter S. Beagle did such an amazing job yeah. getting into the mindset of, well, both the main character, Jenny, who is 13, and then also Tamsin, who yeah. is a 17th century ghost who passed when she was about 20. Yeah. Um, so young women of a variety of types. Yeah. This episode was a listener request from M. Thank you so much, M, for recommending this. Yeah, we had a lovely time with this book. I'm so happy that we covered it. This book was published in 1999. It won a Mythopoeic Award in 2000 for specifically for adult literature, which is interesting. And we'll talk about this. But I think this is the most firmly YA book that we've actually covered in a while. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, it has all the classic markers of uh, the feelings of being a teen, the coming of age process, mm -hmm. um, learning more about yourself and those around you, understanding your heart for the first time, feeling yearnings. Yeah, yeah, and being, you know, confused by them. <laughs> How do you stop? Yeah. So we do thoroughly spoil every book that we cover. If you have not read Tamsin before or haven't checked it out in a while, I highly recommend it. Peter S. Beagle is so often just thought of as the last unicorn author, but he is an incredible writer. Yeah. Um, everything I've read by him has been uh, masterful and just absolutely gorgeous and very different types of mm -hmm. books too which is wild that he can do so well like this is such a different it's type of so book than the last contemporary unicorn. compared to the last yeah. unicorn and takes place in these real world urban and rural settings both of which feel very earned and lived in um, yeah, they're just done so well. And then the language of every historical period that he is working with yeah. is just perfect. Yeah. Um, yeah, great stuff. So go read it. But <laughs> if you have read it, we are here to break it all down. And we're going to start with a cover description. This, Talk about these cats. This edition is absolutely <laughs> glorious. <laughs> So on on the front, we have got a. Uh, so this is definitely the room where Tamsin. Yeah, Tamsin's her like secret, secret room. room. Um, the chair that is shown has these really cool lion's head uh, armrests, and it's it's wooden and really exquisitely engraved. It's an awesome chair. I would like this chair. Um, and Mr. Cat, who is black and he's got yellow orange eyes, like um, yes, is uh, oh, that's that's a good point. 
Um, but it's definitely supposed to be Mr. Cat. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think the puka ever takes Mr. Cat's form. No, I don't think so. Um, and he's he's sitting on the chair and he's in like an excellent cat pose, like so elegant while also being a little doofy. Yeah, looking unhinged. Yeah. <laughs> off into the distance. Yeah. And uh, curled around him uh, is the tail of his ghost cat lover. Like she has her tail curled around him like possessively (laughs) and she has a really cute little squish persian face with her like pouty little uh kitty snoot and is also kind of looking at the the viewer like hello (laughs) um and i just whoever drew these cats which is uh cover art by greg call thank you greg call obviously has like a lot of experience with cats because mm-hmm. he did a really good job of, of, of capturing them. Himself, sure. Yeah. And yet there's so behind the cats and Miss Sophia Brown is transparent. She's, she's mm-hmm. a ghost cat. Um, there's this really cool pained uh, window and then outside you can see the big uh, full moon um, and uh, the, the background is all like this deep blue color to evoke, you know, nighttime and darkness and uh, and the mysteries of the farm yes yeah and then the lettering on it is this really cool like kind of golden color this is really good cover art design mm-hmm. agree yeah it's it's excellent the the colors the the composition the cats <laughs> <laughs> um yeah yeah so 10 out of 10 for this one agree <laughs> So we will go through a plot summary for the book, talk through some of the key points in the narrative. A lot happens, so I'm going to do my best. Yeah, it's a dense book, and it's a lot longer than I thought. Um, the writing is quite small. <laughs> when I started looking, I was like, oh, this is a lot longer than I yeah, thought. Yeah, my copy doesn't have the best printing, um, the Letters are a little too thick and a little too close together, yeah. uh, which didn't help with the production process for this episode. Right. And the margins are, are really big. If they would have mm. just made the margins a little smaller, they could have made the text bigger. Here at Dragon Babies, <laughs> you can count on all your up-to-date printmaking criticisms. <laughs> Printing criticisms. Okay. So this book begins in New York City, baby. Ever heard of it? (laughs) Steal from the Bechdel cast. (laughs) Um, Our protagonist is Jenny Gluckstein, who lives with her mother, who she calls Sally, in an apartment in NYC with her beloved cat named Mr. Cat. Sally is divorced from Jenny's dad. And she is Morris, Morris, who is an opera singer and not the best dad. Um, And she has met someone new who is a British fellow named Evan, who is an expert in agriculture, farm restoration. Yeah. Um, And she and Evan decide to get married, so they move Jenny and Evan's two sons, Tony and Julian, to Dorset, which is in southwest England. And uh, Evan's sons are from London, so it's 
even though they're in the same country, it's a big move for all of the kids. Yeah, definitely a transition for everybody. Mm -hmm. The worst for Jenny because she's having to leave her country Mm -hmm. um, and her friends and she doesn't know Evan very well at all. She's been pretty resistant to getting to know him in a way that I think is totally deserved. Yes. Um, it's Sally's fault. Yeah, we get a lot <laughs> we get a lot more about Sally and Jenny's relationship at the beginning of the book because after that there's really only room for discussion of Tamson and Jenny's relationship, which is wonderful to witness. Yeah. But Sally is not very good at communicating with Jenny at understanding Jenny um, at like trying to meet her on her level instead of kind of expecting her to just be uh, Sally and also like be cool with everything that Sally Sally wants to do once. Yeah. Um, And yeah, I mean, divorce is hard. Uh, We, you know, did not, um, have to experience a parent remarrying while we were still young and living with them. Right. So we um, didn't have to be moved because of yeah. a parental relationship, yes. which I can imagine would be just like so mm-hmm. difficult and a huge impediment to forming a positive relationship with yeah. the the new person in your life. Yeah. But I think anyone whose parents are divorced can relate to a lot of what Jenny experiences. Definitely. Um, yeah. During this process. I don't think we explicitly said, but our parents are divorced <laughs> and did so when we were teenagers. Yeah. And um, I'm so <laughs> glad that I didn't have to move to a different country like as a young teen. Yeah. <laughs> Although, I mean... I'd love to go to Southwest England. Uh, sure, if you if you had your druthers. And we did all migrate out here to Seattle, mm-hmm. so clearly we had the wandering spirit in yeah, us. Yeah, we had the bug. Yeah. So anyway, they move to England to Stourhead Farm, which is a very old farm yeah. um, that is 700 acres absolutely gigantic and the current owners the levels are attempting to like rehabilitate it and turn it into a working farm again they want it to be profitable but it's pretty derelict um and like the the soil has no nutrients yeah the soil has been totally stripped um from years and years and years of all chemical fertilizers as evan loves to talk about there's a lot of agricultural advice yeah. <laughs> book, which is very fun peter s beagle does his research really, yeah yeah and in some of the reviews of the book that i read um folks who did have some kind of agricultural knowledge were saying that everything was very spot on that he was saying so i, I definitely got that feeling it, felt, it didn't feel like it was bs yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah um so the farmhouse which is much more than what you'd consider to be a farmhouse because it's a hundreds year old yeah, it's like a manor manor yeah um but it's in terrible shape And in addition to needing a very, very good spruce up, it is haunted. (laughs) Incredibly obviously. It's pretty clear from the very start. This isn't one of those books where only one of the kids knows that there are ghosts. The whole family is like, yeah, we have got a problem they literally take shifts like sitting in the kitchen at night trying to see like a ghost or the bogart or something yeah trying to catch the 
poltergeist of whatever type that is clearly tormenting them um, because things are going missing and getting turned off and being spilled and in weird places and just generally all over the place. Mm -hmm. But Jenny takes things one step further because she sees a little ghostly cat who her cat, Mr. Cat, is enamored with. Yep. Um, and this is the cat from the cover, Miss Sophia Brown. She is a white, fluffy Persian. And the two of them, the cats, uh, are going on adventures through the house and the lands together. Um, so Jenny starts to try to figure out a little more about what's going on. And she talks to her brother who has a, her stepbrother, Tony, who has um, a really deep knowledge of English history. Um, I was feeling a bit embarrassed um, listening to these kids talk about their different um, depths of understanding of English history. And granted, it's not uh, my country that I grew up in, but I just I just don't recall all that much from the period of my life when I was actually learning some of that stuff. But it was really interesting to read about the piece of English history that we're about to get into. Tony starts telling her about the Monmouth Rebellion, um, which took place in the 1680s in southwest England. After that rebellion, there were a series of trials called the Bloody Assizes that took place primarily in Dorchester and throughout southwest England, in which the farmers and artisans and um, non-conforming Protestants who were involved in the uprising against James II were tried and many of them were murdered. Many of them were enslaved and sent to the West Indies. Um, Lots of very bad things happened right where they are now. So they're living in this land that is soaked with a bloody history. Yeah, lots of bad spirits. And a great thing about this book is that it's pre-internet, so the only way that Jenny can learn more is by extracting various folk tales and historical records from yeah. different locals yeah. in the town, um, which has some great characters in it, um, and from her different family members. Evan is also a bit of a history buff, her yeah. stepfather, mm-hmm. um, and he helps fill in some of the pieces about the family who lived there. Um, which was the Willoughby family. Um, Mr. Willoughby, I don't remember his name right now, uh, first took on the land about 300 years ago. So this is also nicely timed with the uh, Monmouth Rebellion um, and managed to turn it into a functional farm again in really reflecting what Evan is doing now 300 years later Mm -hmm. and lived there with his family. Jenny adventures up to the third floor of the house, which they haven't explored too much because it's hard to get up the staircase. There's a crumbly step. Things are just tenuous in that area of the manor. And she is following the ghostly little white kitty up there. (laughs) The cats are very insistent and seem to want her to go up. Yeah. So when she does, she discovers a way to access a secret room that the family hasn't been able to find yet. They've seen it in their floor plan. And they, but can they see the window from outside too? I think they can see the window, but they can't see in the window. Right. It's kind of a trick window. And I loved that because yeah. the house where we're renting right now has an <laughs> yeah. inaccessible attic yeah. with 
a window in it and we can see the the black window mm-hmm. from the outside. And I, now I'm looking for Tamsin when I yeah. peep at that window when I walk up. Well, <laughs> technically you could get into the attic, right? Because there's a cutout there's a tiny, in your closet. There's a tiny ceiling hatch in the closet yeah. and the, the closet... Um, it's like a 15 foot high ceiling mm-hmm. and there's no ladder. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't even know if I could fit through that hatch. Well, so it, I'm and not you'd trying. need a kind of specialized ladder to even yeah. be able to fit into that closet it's, to it's, be able to get up there. not a huge closet. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. there's definitely ghost cats up there. <laughs> <sighs> so Jenny manages to use a little secret hatch to get into the, I'm making the motion of using <laughs> a paper clip to open a hatch, which, yeah. You can all see and understand. Very, very Zelda-esque accessing a mm-hmm. secret room with the right tool. Exactly. And inside, she meets the titular Tamsin, who is a ghost. Shaggy. Yes. Nice. And she is Tamsin Willoughby. She was the daughter of the landowner that... Jenny has been learning about Mr. Willoughby. Mr. Willoughby. And she has, she died when she was about 20 and is still living in the house and tells Jenny that she is confined to the house and lands, um, which means she can still do quite a bit of wandering, but. Because land is, what, 700 700 acres? 700 acres. But she shouldn't be there at all because she should have been able to pass on to the great spirit land beyond whatever that might be exactly. we, don't, we don't get into it <laughs> we don't get into it we're not going to answer those questions today <laughs> but she and jenny very quickly become very good friends um something miss, more miss akin jenny to sisters. yeah miss Gluckstein. jenny um, Jenny also has a pretty intense fondness for Tamsin that verges on romantic sometimes. Yeah. She's certainly very jealous of others who get Tamsin's attention and affection, mm-hmm. like her stepbrother and yeah. like Tamsin's also murdered technically um, lover from when she was a young a young woman and living. Um, his name was Edric. So Tamsin is a really fascinating ghost um, for a lot of different reasons. I love the way Peter S. Beagle writes ghosts. Uh, Tamsin really, she very easily forgets different things, forgets things from both her past and from the living world that she is trapped in. Um, so there are times when Jenny will come to her and she doesn't know who she is, or she'll be more transparent and less um, fully realized as a form. And yeah. Jenny can usually tell right away that that means that she's kind of in the beyond and not v- very present in the current moment. Yeah. Um, she is, yeah, very ethereal and mysterious, but also just so sweet, so lovely, so excited to have Jenny to talk to. Yeah. And as Jenny starts, she, she's keeping the secret of Tamsin, um, although she has told her best friend, Mina, who she met at school and has become very close with, about the general ghostiness of the farm um, and some of the weird experiences they've been having. She even keeps Tamsin from Mina because I think in some ways she wants her all to herself. I think so. Um, Jenny talks to a local, I can't 
remember his name um, or who he is, but (laughs) she talks to a man. (laughs) She talks to a man who is very knowledgeable about spirits in the area. It's kind of his thing to collect ghost tales. And he tells her that he knows that there is a ghost of a young woman at Stourhead Farm, but she has appeared to other young women, but never actually spoken to any of them. Um, So there's something special going on with their relationship yeah jenny and tamson explore the land at night and tamson introduces jenny to and jenny also discovers a variety of other creatures that live on the land like the puka who is a shapeshifter with ill intent but also something of a heart um the billy blind who is a small um goblin esque billy blind creature who gives advice so weird that's not always correct uh, yeah i love him um she's also warned about the oak men who live in the oak forest who are terrifying um they're also established mythical creatures that Uh, I guess, typically lure people to death by giving them fancy food that is actually poisonous mushrooms. So that's why the mushroom cap piece comes in, why they look like little caps popping up on on different trees. Um, Anyway, there's there's magic afoot all over the dang place. There's also something that keeps happening, a sort of weather slash um, phantasmagoric event (laughs) called the Wild Hunt, which occurs when (laughs) they're typically it's combined with a storm um, and it is a group of spirits on horseback flying through the sky above the farm and it's scary and mysterious. And is something else, like another mythological thing in Welsh mythology that is in Witcher. Yeah. So I I, I now feel that I have to look it up and do more research because I'm sure it's been talked about. Um, I, I think that, yeah, like there's there's a good amount of Welsh mythology mixed in there. Mm-hmm. In um, I've only ever played The Witcher 3. I have plans to play too, but... Yeah, the Wild Hunt is from a wide range of different Northern European folklore traditions. Okay. Um, like uh, it's in Norwegian um, folklore. Uh, it's usually the leader of the hunt is Odin in different Germanic oh, legends. interesting. Okay, yeah. Um, but then other legends label the leader as like different actual historical figures, like different kings and things like that. The Wild Hunt just essentially boils down to like a group of spirits that are chasing some kind of figure. Yeah. And it's like their, their mythos is that it's, it happens during a storm. Mm -hmm. And some people also thought that it was a bad omen of some kind. Yeah. Um, and could lead to your death if you witness it, or you could be abducted by it, taken to the fairy kingdom or to the underworld. Um, Yeah, so very spooky. Jenny learns something, something else about the the bloody assizes, um, which is that the leader of those trials, the judge, Judge Jeffries, is also a ghost and he is also around and he is linked to Tamsin. 
And he is bad. And he bad. He's very bad. Um, and then she sees his ghost for the first time and he says to her, tell her I am here. Yeah. So he's kind of hunting Tamsin and Jenny is starting to put pieces together that he might have to do with why Tamsin has been trapped here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so she starts to learn more about the farm history, also getting pieces from Tamsin, but there's a lot that Tamsin is unwilling to talk about. She says, don't talk about, don't ask me about the other one, which refers to Judge Jeffries. So it takes Jenny a while and a lot of like really blunt questions to actually extract this information. But what she ultimately learns is that Tamsin, when she was a young woman, her father hired a portraitist to paint her picture he also hired a musician to come and play for her while her painting was being completed the musician was edric at the same time judge jeffries was carrying out these trials in the area and all of the nobles and landowners were keen on staying on his good side because so that they wouldn't be brutally murdered so that they wouldn't be witch hunted yeah um, because he had the ability to pull anyone into trial and very few were pronounced innocent yeah um, so he was also coming around the farm and had yeah, he's very scary. invited over for dinners and had expressed his own intention to marry Tamsin. So Tamsin and Edric had planned to run away together. And on a cursed night, the two of them had, they were about to meet, they were going to leave, escape. There was a horrible storm. And Tamsin was heading out to go meet Edric and Judge Jeffries showed up at the farm and Tamsin tried to pretend that she was just going on a walk and the two walked together, but she twisted her ankle. So he took her back in the house and then said a lot of terrifying things to her, Um, you know, that she would marry him. He would have her. He knows about Edric and she'll never be able to be with him. And he, in fact, says that he is dispatched of him already. Mm -hmm. Um, and Tamsin manages to get away from him, runs out into the storm, goes to their meeting place, but Edric isn't there. And she perishes shortly after because she was out in this storm unprotected and she has um, pneumonia. Yeah. So <laughs> knowing that Jenny is more driven to try to figure out exactly what they need to do to free Tamsin, um, Tamsin's getting more and more... Uh, inconsistent. She's feeling more afraid. She's more transparent and not there. And it feels like pieces of her are being sort of siphoned away. Um, And Judge Jeffries is showing up more and more, always near the house. Um, Jenny discovers that there are some paintings of Judge Jeffries and the painting of Tamsin in the local restaurant, (laughs) which is named like... Jeffrey, like George Jeffrey's restaurant or something like that. Um, It's very, it's very funny because this is how we like memorialize different historical figures and events, even if they're horrific. Like I'm sure there's like a Rasputin restaurant out there somewhere. Most definitely. (laughs) I mean, I'm sure you've probably seen them when you were in Russia. I don't know if I specifically did, but I, I bet. It's just so funny to think about like, oh yeah, let's go to Jeffrey's Lodge and like eat under his 
terrifying portrait. Yeah. Um, but Jenny manages to find Tamsin's portrait from her story, and she goes to look at it with Mina, and Mina realizes that there is another person in the picture, and it's Judge Jeffries yeah, peer, peering at her from the reflection of a dish, um, which is how Jenny puts everything together that he was there to and starts to force Tamsin to tell her the entire story. With all of these pieces, which... Jenny brings back to Tamsin. Tamsin's able to remember her last dying words, which she hadn't been able to do. Judge Jeffries was with her, and Jenny thought there might have been something that passed between the two of them that trapped her there. But it's actually that Tamsin cursed Edric on her deathbed because she thought that he had abandoned her. So she cursed him to some kind of fate, um, just to wait for her as she's waited for him. Mm. So now it seems that they are both trapped on this mortal coil mm. <laughs> to some extent yeah. um, while they wait that out. Yes. And then hearing her saying that Judge Jeffries, who even though he's like super obsessed with God and being uh, yeah, being of the church, the king's church. We got um, some European Christian hypocrisy going on. Yeah, and he's very connected to, like, demons because that's the flip side. I mean, if you're close to God, you're also close to the devil. Mm -hmm. um, so he summons the wild hunt that we spoke of who captures Edric's spirit, mm -hmm. and he becomes the one that they're hunting. So for 300 years, he's been the corpse figure that's at the front of the wild hunt. And, and Jenny has heard him screaming before in yep. the storm. Yep. <laughs> like, oh, that's Edric. Okay. Yeah. Great. Yikes. This all comes to a head on, of course, a stormy night when the hunt is passing by. And Tamsin has been incredibly weakened. And Judge Jeffries comes to as he puts it, completely possess her. And yeah. by that, he means like suck her into him. Like absorb his, Ab her spirit. Yeah, take her spirit into his. So that's Some not scary good. stuff. Yeah. Um, that doesn't sound like resting in peace nope. to me. Nope, nope, nope. Um, but Jenny manages to thwart this along with the cats who <laughs> attack Judge Jeffries. Yeah. Um, there's so much funny stuff throughout the book of like how a physical body can interact with a spirit. Um, and yeah. the cats seem to just be better at it <laughs> than humans are. Which is typical, right? Like cats have an easier time slipping between worlds in fantasy books. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're, they can be in a liminal space a yeah. little bit easier. easier. So... Tamsin uses the knowledge of what has happened to Edric to call the hunt to her and say, you have to release him. Um, like, I'll pay his debt. I'll do what must be done, but like, let him go. But Jeffrey still has power over the hunt. So he sets them to chase Jenny instead. Um, and everyone is running and running and running through the farm with Edric and Tamsin encouraging Jenny and Edric also just clearly being like, oh my God, I really just want us to get away. But like, yeah. fine, <laughs> clearly you've played some important part, like I'll help. Yeah. And he winks at Jenny at, at one point, which is so amazing. Like yeah. this rotting spirit figure turning and being like, wink, yeah. <laughs> you can do it. <laughs> And just when they are, when all hope seems lost and the hunt is upon them, 
the next door neighbor, Mrs. Fallowfield, who has shown up in a variety of wonderful ways throughout the book and yeah. dispensed some important information to Jenny at yeah. key points, largely mm-hmm. turning her on to the fact that the wild hunt is connected somehow, yeah. um, appears and reveals that she is the lady of the elder tree. Yeah, she's like an ancient, powerful, very powerful spirit. Protector tree spirit. Yeah. Um, who predates, as she says, Judge Jeffrey's God by a, a span of time that no one can even imagine. Yeah. And she has her... Um, <laughs> Her horrible lapdog who is transformed into like an unknowable animal figure. Yeah, (laughs) very funny. And the two of them come and take care of everything. Um, They rocket Judge Jeffries (laughs) off (laughs) into the distant sky. Um, He is sent away and the wild hunt chases him. Yeah. So they've got a new, uh, they've got a new like leader slash prey. It's, yeah. yeah an One who is far more deserving of such. Exactly. And then Tamson and Edric head on out. Yeah. Yeah. They go on to their next, their next existence, which is to not exist any longer. And Tamson. Uh, Gives Jenny a kiss, which is what allows her to remember what actually happened because Mrs. Fallowfield slash Lady of the Elder Tree says, you got to forget this. Like, you can know about this. Right. <laughs> you need to be able to just live your life. Yeah. So Jenny then, we, you know, we've seen throughout that the framing device is that she's writing this down, telling her story at Mina's insistence and that it happened a few years ago. So then we get to the end and learn that Jenny is now at university at Cambridge. She has decided to study history um, because this experience has made her so excited about learning more about Everything that's happened in the world and all the ghosties that have come about because Mm -hmm. of it. And she is, you know, she misses Tamsin, but she is maturing into her own adult person. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And she also feels that she'll always have a connection to the magical world and loves going back to Stourhead Farms to feel that. And she sees the puka at the end of the book. Yeah. Which I really like. Yeah, the puka is still around. <laughs> Love the puka. Yeah. Yeah, and we'll end on that. Love the puka. The, <laughs> Why isn't this book called The Puka? <laughs> the puka totally reminds me of Mogget. Oh, for sure. Right? Friendly Up Horse and Books. Yeah, yeah. So let's dive right into Old and New Impressions. Have you read this book? No. Okay. Well, I mean... <laughs> Recently. (laughs) Recently, but not in my youth. Yeah, I did read this when I was young, but I have really forgotten it. Yeah, and I wonder if I finished it. Um, I think it's difficult in some ways, and I probably read it a little too young um, and expected it to be more like The Last Unicorn rather than being able to appreciate it just for what it is, which is this incredible blend of contemporary and historical fiction, fantasy, romance, haunted house story. It's it's just got everything. Yeah, um, it's a really cool book, and I uh, I loved also that it's a haunting in which the uh, residents aren't the victims, but the ghosts are. Yeah, um, the yeah. ghosts need help. <laughs> 
(laughs) and are so sweet and gentle. And Tamsin really represents this built-in solace and friend for Jenny during a time when she's feeling very adrift and uncertain and is uncomfortable and anxious about school, about her peers, about herself, her own body and her understanding of who she is, um, about her place and her family. Like she has so little stability in Mm -hmm. so many ways. Um, and I, I love that when they first get to the house, it's it's just awful. I mean, Evan like straight up apologizes to everyone because everyone's just like, Oh my God, it's a ruin. (laughs) And truly the first, the book goes through such intensely demarcated movements. Like at the beginning, we're really getting Jenny being, uh, you know, a rightfully angsty teen. Um, but like, you know, smoking weed between classes with her friends and like, romping around New York looking for her cat and like going to uncomfortable dinners with her crummy dad Um, being angry about her new step family then I feel like phase two is all of them kind of getting onto the same ground because they've all arrived in this unfamiliar place that is a disaster and they moved in to take on this task sight unseen Mm -hmm. Um, so I just can't even imagine Evan, who genuinely seems like a lovely person, um, having brought his children, his new wife, his new stepdaughter into this like crumbling, (laughs) unsafe manner Mm -hmm. um, and then having to make the best of it, which he does. And then... The third piece is really Jenny coming into her own through Tamsin and through having someone else to help so that in the process she can help herself. Indeed. So I really liked all of that. And I think I would have benefited from it um, when I was younger. I wish I had just read it maybe a little later. Uh, I think I probably read this in middle school. Mm, Okay. Something that I really loved is... The exploration of feeling between Jenny and Tamsin. Yeah. Um, And I love that they have so much affection for each other that truly does verge on romantic. Yeah, yeah. Um, It's sort of like a gently queer relationship in some ways, especially from Jenny's perspective. Yeah. Um, And And it's kind of Victorian in that mm -hmm. way too. Like the, you know, there's a little bit of that like pining. (laughs) Definitely. Yeah. And just the way that you can fully lose yourself in a very close friend Um, which, yeah, is something I relate to, too. You can have, like, this really, really significant love for someone, um, and they're just a piece of you. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's also, I thought, this really beautiful juxtaposition between Jenny and Tamsin's lived and then, uh, you know, unliving trauma and the way that Tamsin is still having to explore and think through these incredibly painful pieces of her life because she couldn't even find peace from them in Mm -hmm. death. Um, And at the same time, Jenny is learning how to think about her life in different ways and understand the pieces that have led her down this path to this point Mm -hmm. um, and like be able to develop better relationships with her mom and with her step family um, and with herself and love herself more because Tamsin is always 
um, helping her to understand that like she is beautiful and she is valuable and and smart and when the book starts, Jenny is just really so down on herself about pretty much everything. Yeah. Um, in that way that like as a 13 year old is so common. natural. Yeah. You just feel wrong and useless. Yeah. Um, and Tamsin who didn't have the chances that Jenny is going to have. So I think in some ways is also jealous of Jenny because mm-hmm. she doesn't get to, have an adult life. Um, she doesn't get to age like her and, and her, her possibility of escaping a terrifying fate, um, was cut short. So she just has to exist on in that terror. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I really liked all of that. <laughs> <laughs> so those are my new impressions. Oh, and the last thing is just, I already touched on this with the, the sort of friend romance between Jenny and Tamsin um, and Jenny and Mina too, who also have a really beautiful friendship. I like their relationship a lot as Um, well. And I loved that there was a, at least secondary character who wasn't white in a story that's set in Southwest England. Yeah. Um, And when Jenny was in New York, um, it was much more diverse too, in Mm -hmm. terms of her friends um, and the people around her. But there's just an exploration of so many different types of romantic relationships. It's so much more nuanced than I think YA fantasy often is. Like divorce, remarriage, lost love, young love, older love. Like um, Sally and Evan and the way that Jenny like does see how they have a really beautiful relationship Mm -hmm. and like a very special bond. Yeah. Um, And then also kind of thwarted love between Jenny and Tamsin in some ways mm-hmm. because they ultimately have to separate forever. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? So I, like at the beginning of this book, I had a pretty hard time um, for the reason that like it just brought back a lot of, in particular, feelings of powerlessness mm-hmm. when I was 13. Like, and I was weird and different and didn't like any of the things that my peers liked and like I couldn't relate to them and they were pretty cruel to me in a lot of ways um including just like kind of totally locking me out socially like I wasn't really allowed to be in any social group um which was incredibly damaging to my like a sense of self and ability to, to love or even like myself mm-hmm. um, or understand myself. Um, and it was right when you were Jenny's age too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my, yeah, my awkward phase lasted a pretty long time um, from like t- t- 12 to 20. <laughs> I think a lot of us can say the same <laughs> And I still, honestly, I still don't think that, like as I am now, like a, a thirty-year-old adult, um, I finally feel grown up. Yeah. Um, and it's taken a really long time to get here. Uh, so like my protracted um, emotional growing pains mean that a kind of story like this that's incredibly well written, super relatable. Um, yeah, I I can't believe that this man did such a good job of writing from a 13-year-old girl's perspective. Yeah, he mentioned in 
a range of interviews that when he was writing it, he could just hear everyone's voices yeah. in his head and he was really just recording it. Yeah. 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 He um, really connected with Jenny. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which is so cool because I really connected with Jenny too. And like our, our situations, as we've already noted, are, were pretty different, but there's something just so universal about mm. the, the, you know, the 13 year old experience. Um, yeah. And I was so mad at Sally, at especially at the beginning of the book. Like she gets more palatable later. Um, but and I think she becomes better at taking Jenny on Jenny's level, right? About like meeting Jenny where she's at yeah. instead of like I was shocked. I was just like Sally, you done screwed this up real bad when she just like yeah. sat Jenny down and said, "I'm getting married." We're moving to England. We're moving to rural England. <laughs> yeah, and and then she and your cat has to be quarantined yeah, for months. Yeah, and the, her cat's like her best friend. Um, the quarantine piece of the book was so heartbreaking. It was brutal. It was brutal. Yeah, um, and Sally is just like so blasé about it when she just presents this to Jenny. Like, even if she just would have been like, "Hey." I want to talk to you about this. How do you feel about this? Like, obviously they're still going to move, but she can like work towards it and help Jenny feel um, like included in the process because like Sally just drops that on her. And then when Jenny is like, what? No, I don't want to do that. Immediately. Sally just totally shuts down. She acts like she's 13 and like gets all pissy at that. Like, Jenny would, you know, be such a stick in the mud about this. Yeah. Um, and so I totally understood why Jenny like refused to participate in the moving process or like to get to know, um, Evan more. Uh, and yeah, once, once they move, then like Sally grows up herself Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. Um, but yeah. And the Mr. Cat, because like when they're closer to the move, Sally had told her it would be like, one or two months Mm -hmm. and uh, Evan's like oh no it's six um and so Jenny again has like a meltdown which I mean I can't imagine putting my one of my beloved pets just like totally out of my hands I can't even imagine flying with a pet in the cargo hold I've never done that before and you know sometimes people have to do it but I cannot imagine how nerve-wracked I would be during that whole process um and so for Mr. Cat then to have to be in like quarantine yeah. for that long. Sounds like a nice place that he's at, at least. Yeah. And Jenny can go visit, but he's yeah, you but know, it's still pretty upset with her right. too and scorns and shunts her. Yeah, yeah, which is also so tough because like it wasn't Jenny's fault. Yeah. But like, you know. So, anyways, once once I got through that part, then I you know, the, the sadness lifted from me, even though the rest of the book is like pretty sad, um, that it just wasn't so personal anymore. And it was a lot more, um, like there was more good stuff that happened to Jenny when she was like, once they moved and once she started to Mm -hmm. grow up Mm -hmm. and that made me feel good because it made me think about my, my own growth as, as an adult, especially, like, you know, when, when I went to law school, I thought that that was me being like, I'm an adult now and like, I'm going to continue to be this adult. And I actually had a lot more stuff to figure out and deal with like a lot of um, mental health issues and just like figuring out what I actually want to do rather than Mm -hmm. what I think 
I should want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it made me reflect a lot on that stuff. Um, yeah, I this was a great book. Isn't it kind of remarkable to reach the end and think back to, yeah, like I said, the first act of the book and be yeah. like, oh, yeah, that was the same book. Right. But it, it feels totally natural. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It feels right. Yeah. Uh, and I think it helps that the framing device is that this is being presented in Jenny's own words. Um, and she's looking back and reflecting on it because we also get pieces from her like some of her editorializing saying like I'm so ashamed that I did this or thought this or said this or like Mm -hmm. uh yeah this was real freaky (laughs) yeah um so we're getting her also reflecting on her lived experience um and the ways in which she's changed yeah yeah um and uh this is a great book for putting you in a headspace where you can connect with the magic flowing Mm, through mm -hmm. the natural world. Because I, Seattle is an incredible place to go for walks. Um, Like it's one of the things that I truly love about it. I I love the winter in Seattle because the like misty coolness Mm -hmm. is perfect for walking. You can Mm -hmm. walk forever as long as there's a public bathroom within the the route (laughs) and you got a water bottle. Um, and, uh, I, that's something I love to do when I'm walking around, especially cause in the winter, like most people stay inside. So I have like all of the magical lushness to myself mm-hmm. and you can totally connect to like natural spirits in a way where you can just let your creativity and imagination go and like yeah. just imagine like what's around you and it's just really cool. And this book totally brings that out because of the way that there is all of this ancient um, and really powerful, unknowable magic that, you know, dates back before uh, modern mythologies or, um, you know, religious traditions. Uh, I I just love that stuff that like really deeply rooted um, kind of pagan magic type deal. 100%. I love how scary the book is. Yeah. And when Jenny is first out at night and she and with or without Tamsin because Tamsin sometimes blinks away yeah and Tamsin just, just goes away sometimes <laughs> and then Jenny's out alone on this 700 acre property yeah. filled with different um sometimes evil and sometimes somewhat somewhat good spirits yeah there's various alignments mm-hmm. from like neutral to evil (laughs) yeah yeah no one's like straight up good and helpful yeah there's there's i don't think there's any lawful good no yeah no i wouldn't say so tamsin herself maybe but maybe yeah um i feel like she's like neutral good the first time that jenny sees i think it's the puka at that point sees like the mysterious golden eyes in the Mm -hmm. night that's very frightening yeah um Mina wandering into the oak wood, into the hundred acre wood, and Jenny having to go in and get her out, and them almost being overtaken by the oakmen, um, is very frightening. Yeah, uh, and the They're- puka also like actually kind of ensnares Jenny at one point. Yeah, he was gonna do his evil to her <laughs> when he's disguised as a beautiful black pony. Yeah, and Tamsin appears and is like, no, you jerk, what's wrong with you? But then later the puka actually 
helps Jenny in many different ways. And I think it's because the puka is kind of taken by what's happening and also wants to help Tamsin. Like everyone on the farm for the most part is united in a love for Tamsin Mm -hmm. and wanting to help her move on. I also, one thing I forgot to add that reading this made me remember my deep seated obsession with children's and YA historical fantasy books. Mm. Um, And we have an episode on a few like Sorcery and Cecilia by Patricia C. Reedy um, and Witch Week by Diana Wynne Jones, which is like an alternate history fantasy. Really, really fun. Great book. Um, But yeah, it's just so cool to be able to, at different points throughout the book, head on over to the old Wikipedia and look some stuff up and learn more about the events and people and places that are being mentioned. Yeah. Um, and I did want to share that the, uh, so the Monmouth Rebellion, we don't learn about how George Jeffries um, dies because he's still a youngish ghost. And I was like, is that just liberties with the story or did he somehow like die pretty quickly after the events of the book. Um, And I looked it up and he did die when he was 44 and he died right after the glorious revolution when James II was successfully overthrown because the Monmouth rebellion failed, Mm. but he had been made like one of the, I don't know the actual term right now, but one of the chief justices because of his role in the bloody assizes. Um, He was Lord chancellor. Um, And so he was thrown in the tower of London and he died in prison, likely of kidney failure, just four years after the events of the Monmouth Rebellion. So he didn't make it that much longer. (laughs) Good. And I also want to mention, and we'll put this on our website, the portrait that they talk about of Judge Jeffries that's hanging in his restaurant um, in, I think, in Dorchester is where they say that it is in the book. Um, But I'm not sure if if that's true in real life, but I found definitely the painting that Peter Spiegel is talking about. Because if you look up likenesses of George Jeffries, most of them he looks like, you know, he's like kind of gross. (laughs) But there's one where he has very soft feminine features and like beautiful curls and he looks young. And it does seem like there have been liberties taken um, with the portrait. Can I see it? Mm -hmm. Uh, So we'll put this on our website, dragonbabiespodcast.com. Yeah, you're, you're totally right. Ugh. And like the soft hands. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Look how squishy his hands look. (laughs) What's he got in his hand? Like a little scroll there. If you ever have me painted, please make my hands squishy. That's all I ask. He definitely looks like a very vain man. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I want to punch him right in his nose. Oh yeah. Kapow. Absolutely. You know, most of the conflict in the book after Jenny's move and after things start to settle down a little bit at the farm is actually from Tamsin's life rather than anything yeah. happening in the present day there's like some conflict about like can Evan get the farm working <laughs> with his no revolutionary no-till method <laughs> so much about agriculture 
But it's actually really engaging. It is. And yeah. all the and Julian and Tony and Jenny have to help with everything. So there are also just passages where she's like, yeah, I was trying to help Tamsin like during that spring. But like, I was just really tired because I had to do manual labor every day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sure literally like work in the field. Taken care of. Yeah. But it's also very endearing mm-hmm. that Evan cares so much and he's such a nerd about it. Like, yeah. I feel like it really makes you like him. For sure. He is. He is very endearing. Definitely. Yeah. Um, I also have a personal connection to the book and was so excited when they were going to Dorset because I got to go to England Uh, a few years ago when the Terry Pratchett exhibit was at the Salisbury Museum. My mom and I went, we had an amazing trip and um, our first full day there, uh, just because of timing, Uh, We had decided to get train tickets to go to the Jurassic Coast, and we went to Weymouth and spent the day just walking around. Um, There's a lot of really amazing walking paths and free things to see, like castle ruins. Um, There's... uh, Notha Fort, I think is how it's pronounced, um, and the garden surrounding it. And we were just walking on the cliffs over the ocean. We went to the Black Dog Pub, which is one of the oldest pubs in Southwest England. That's so cool. Um, And we had such an amazing day. (laughs) I was really transported back by uh, Jenny's experiences. Yeah, that sounds lovely. Um, And yeah, hope really, really hope to return one day and be able to spend more time there. Um, and getting just kind of a healthy dose of established fantasy, fairy, myth, mythical creatures that I'm unfamiliar with was also really cool. Yeah. I don't think I've ever heard of, and I know that some of this is just, these are regional names for, you know, a set type of character that recurs across Mm -hmm. different folkloric traditions. Um, but I don't think I'd heard of a puka before, which is Celtic. Um, it sounds, um, it seems kind of related to a Kelpie. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think there's a lot of overlap between different shapeshifter, fairy, uh, um, druid, uh, yeah, type characters. Like regional cultural similarities. Um, And the Billy Blind, I had never heard of. Love the Billy Blind. Yeah, the Billy Blind was great. (laughs) Um, I encourage you all to look up Billy Blind. Uh, There's a really funny illustration on the Wikipedia page, um, which is Scottish and English. uh, And then... uh, the Oakman, who I mentioned, um, who typically, yeah, poison people with mushrooms. Um, I I was really struck by the constant warning to stay away from the oaks. I know. <laughs> I like oaks. Yeah. <laughs> but I get that they feel very serious. Was it Maybe a... Maybe a little ent-like. Yeah. I was just thinking of the... I think it's the Buckleberry Forest where Tom Bombadil lives. Mm-hmm. Um, the It's an oak that tries to eat Pippin, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm checking. In the book. In the movies, they have that, like, in the extended edition in Fangorn Forest. Yeah, they swap it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that was, that was super, super fun, too. Um, and I guess we'll, you know, kind of segue into animals yeah. just like animals, animals in this in book because oh, um, I have a lot more to say about the puka <laughs> <laughs> I'll never stop <laughs> um, so the puka is you can always tell is the puka because it always has these gold slitted uh, 
pupil eyes. I imagined them looking like Hypnotoad's eyes. <laughs> From future. Just like Hypnotoad. <laughs> um, but can take on truly any shape. I mean, the puka becomes Justice Jeffries at one point, which sounds really creepy. I'm just imagining that painting, but with the puka's eyes. <laughs> terrifying it's pretty scary um then like when jenny says like can't you become something else the puka becomes like again you know a sort of unknowable like godlike animal creature comprised of different parts of different beasts um the way that the lady of the elders little dog becomes at the end is a bit of a jokester yeah which is just like a visual that i'm always going to enjoy yeah Yeah. (laughs) when the character is like yeah there was like an alligator head and like a lion tail but i couldn't really even comprehend it it's like yep too much too much for our little baby brains to handle reminding me a little of pet from pet Mm -hmm. yeah pet (laughs) from the book pet uh by a quake amazing yeah but the I love the puka appearing as a pony, hoping to get Jenny on its back so that it can throw her into a bog and kill her. Um, but then also taking on uh, whatever seems to feel right to it, like being a little bunny sometimes. <laughs> but always with the horrible eyes. <laughs> um, and being the one who really forces Jenny to figure out how to save Tamsin too. Yeah. Um, and just be like, you know, I'm invested in this for whatever reason. <laughs> like, Just take care of it. Yeah. Okay. And then at the very end, the puka appears as a hedgehog. When <laughs> really cute. Jenny, yeah. And she thinks it's going to stab her if she picks it up. Uh-huh. Yeah. When Jenny comes back to the farm um, and uh, her foot just like bumps against the little puka hedgehog who says, pick me up, Jenny Glexty. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, which is just um, pretty cute just so lovely yeah Yeah. and then of course the star animals just like animals in this book are Mr. Cat and Miss Sophia Brown I love that they both have titles (laughs) I love them Oh, they're the best. Yeah. Um, Mr. Cat is so wonderfully adventurous. And the fact that Mr. Cat gets to just explore the streets of New York whenever he wants. With the, uh, his girlfriend, who Jenny yeah, calls has, that Siamese hussy. Yeah, he has lots of ladies <laughs> yeah. in his life. Um and is quite a flirt, it seems. Um, and then has to go through probably the hardest trial of anyone in the book, yeah. um, except maybe Tamsin, uh, being in quarantine for months, um, yeah. trapped on a cat kennel farm yeah. <laughs> in southwest England. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but the two of them guiding Jenny and Jenny, there's even one really, the book is so funny because Jenny's really. Uh, wry and sarcastic and she's also very cognizant of how ridiculous some of the things she's saying are so there's one part where she's like i need to tell you i never even watch lassie i don't care about it i didn't feel like you know i'm gonna get called because timmy's in the well but when i saw the cats being very urgent in front of me i knew that that's (laughs) what (laughs) timmy was in the well (laughs) and i had to follow them Well, black cats have always had a really special place in my life. I have, as a child, had family black cats two times, and I currently have a black cat whose name is Mary. Um, Mary. We adopted Mary and Pippin, uh, but as a bonded pair, and unfortunately Pippin passed like a year after we got them Mm -hmm. as very young cats. Um, And 
that was really tough for Mary because she was the shy one. Like Pippin was the friendly ham male cat and Mary was like a scarce. We, we almost never saw her just a little shadow peeping around. Like sometimes we'd see her just like curled up on top of Pippin cause she was a lot smaller than him. Um, and when Pippin passed, it was, it was incredibly traumatic for all involved, but especially for Mary who was, so stressed out that she was like over grooming herself. So her fur was really patchy um, and like oozy because she was doing it so much. So we put her on our vet gave us little tiny kitty antidepressants, like these tiny little pills that we still had to cut into quarter. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, and she, I'm, I'm so proud of Mary because she has become a completely different cat. She's, like so much friendlier and more outgoing and she's so much happier. She's really transformed. Yeah. And I know how hard that was for her because Pippin was her rock. Um, so yeah, I'm just really proud of my cat. Just wanted uh, to put that out there. <laughs> no, I'm glad. <laughs> and she's, she's my spooky little black cat. Um, and Grace has, he's technically a tuxedo he's cat, a but he's mostly black yeah. and he has the like black cat wildness in his eyes. <laughs> Yeah, during so we've been in a pretty intense heat wave set record temperatures in Seattle two days in a row um, in this last week. And there is a cat that looks just like my cat Chicken Sticks, but a long haired, larger version of him. But same coloring, same eyes in this yeah, that lives on the block. And I, I think, think I've you've seen, seen him, him before. before too. Yeah. Um, and during the heat wave, uh, Josiah and I were leaving and we saw him rolling against the wall of the building, trying to just like soak up some coolness from the stone. And we got to give him a little pet. Aww. And then that night he was attacking people on the streets. <laughs> <laughs> I was getting some water from the kitchen and I heard some people being like, oh no, oh no. <laughs> and then just like, <laughs> And then that's amazing. We, I went to the window and we both <laughs> saw him just fly over the edge of the staircase and run away, like totally fine. But it it didn't look real. It was one of those things where, yeah, it, it looked like a cartoon where a cat's wow, just like, wow, ah! wow, wow, wow. leaps off. That is great. <sighs> so there's some cats from our own lives for you to chew on and calvin which was our black cat growing up used to like we had a bunk bed and calvin only did this to grace um he would like wait for you i was thinking about this the other night for some reason. yeah he would wait for you by the ladder and he would like attack your legs <laughs> when you were climbing down the ladder yep, it was terrifying i was like six at the time he was almost he, as big as you and he also used to wait around the corner of the staircase the yeah. so i would carry <laughs> bottom of the stairs there was a couch and I would pick up a little throw pillow from the couch <laughs> and use it as a shield against so Calvin then Calvin off and he'd jump out at me from around the top of the stairs and then I'd just like bat him away with the pillow <laughs> oh. we had a fraught relationship yes Calvin but yeah he, he calmed down as he aged yeah and he was big he was like 20 pounds big cat yeah Ooh. Okay, so, and then there's Albert, the, like, ancient sheepdog, who also oh, seems yeah. kind of timeless, and who the puka also turns into. 
Yeah. <laughs> but then becomes huge and menacing. Yeah. Yeah. Just, Albert's very cute. Just also. great stuff. It's such an inhabited world. And yes. it's all and it's almost all completely taking place just on the farm. Mm-hmm. Um, but it feels so dynamic and so full. And you both desperately want to go for a walk at night on out on that farm and are also, also terrified. So afraid. Yeah. And yeah. and I love that. Yeah. I love that. Really incredible atmosphere. So let's briefly touch on pretend food. Pretend food. Food is not the focus of this tale. When you when your main character's best friend is a ghost, you're not going to be eating that much. Exactly. <laughs> I can tell you right now. Yeah. Um, and everyone's so in flux all the time that there's just not that much opportunity for cooking and eating. Yeah. Um, Especially when they, yeah, get to the house and just have to, like, try to make it functional. Yeah. um, Much less tasty. (laughs) Um, But there is a great passage where Jenny is hanging out with Mina at her house. And Mina is Indian. And they are making... uh, Are are they making samosas? Maybe. I can't remember. So there are a lot of picnics out and about the farm. Um, there's a lot of, uh, fruit work. <laughs> yeah. Um, and a song that Tamsin sings that was her sister's oh, nursery song. Her yeah. sister died of the plague, yeah. um, before Tamsin did, um, that goes apricots I'm selling, <laughs> peaches, plums, and melons, who will come and buy, who will come and buy. And then goes on to a verse I like a little less that's about, having so many daughters who will come and buy. Yeah. Um, but Julian talks about how much he hates fruit a lot. <laughs> Stupid cantaloupes for breakfast is a direct quote. I um, love Julian. Julian is such a good character. Yeah. I know we haven't really talked about him, but he is, I mean, that's another like relationship dynamic that the book discusses very lovingly. Mm-hmm. Um, the one between siblings, because Jenny was an only child. Um, so to go from that to living with two very eccentric and wonderful uh, brothers. Yeah. Um, Tony, the older one, is a dancer and is very serious about it and pretty much just spends his life dancing in his um, dance room where Jenny is very jealous to learn that Tamsin likes to sit and watch him dance. And so does Mr. Cat, but Tony hates to <laughs> Tony be watched. Let, let Mr. Cat watch him. Yeah. Maybe it's because he's also feeling a ghost watching him and the combination <laughs> Too much. too much. <laughs> um, and Julian, who is younger and very sweet, he yeah. loves carrying out experiments. Um, I think at one point he says an experiment involving snails, sugar, and pickles or something like that. Yeah. Um, and he also gives Jenny his beloved stuffed gorilla when they first move in because he can tell how sad she is. And he's always just really looking out for her. And there's a really a good funny kid. sort of running joke throughout the book where Jenny's always saying, like, I could really murder him, like, right after he does something really cute. Yeah. Um, and it's just obvious how the two of them um, were, you know, very much right for one another. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and, uh, yeah, outside of that, you know, I didn't, I'm sorry, y'all, I didn't make specific pretend food notes because there wasn't not that, that much, much pretend food in this book. There wasn't that much going yeah. on. Oh, the other really important piece is 
vanilla because oh, Tamsin has a scent like vanilla. and it is vanilla. And everyone can experience that, even though no one else can see Tamsin. And Mina's super sad when she comes to try to meet her. And Jenny introduces Tamsin when she comes over and Mina can't see anything. Yeah. Yeah. Vanilla is also like one of my favorite smells. So I don't like vanilla, yeah, <laughs> but, but I'm, I'm a big, but it's fan. okay. Yeah. Uh, and, and full, um, natural vanilla, like not the synthetic or, um, yeah, the like kind of weird bottled stuff it smells delicious. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So shall we rate our badass ladies? Yes. My badass lady is Miss Sophia Brown. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I rate Miss Sophia Brown. I want to just rate her a a good cat. A 10 out of 10. Good kitty, babe. She's so good. Like, she sticks by Tamsin after like horrible things happened to both of them. Like, well, that's why Miss Sophia Brown is a ghost. Cause she also Dutch had a traumatic death. Yeah. He says that he always hated her because she never showed like him the him, proper respect. Yeah. Never let him pet her and clearly didn't like him. And he liked Edric or she liked Edric. And she liked Edric. Yeah. Um, I sorry, I have no idea how to pronounce his Neither. name. Yeah, um, okay. and Tamsin also put a lot of stock in who Miss Sophia Brown preferred the company right of course um yeah you gotta trust your cat so he said immediately after tamson died he drowned her yep cool cool very cool guy yeah just revenge drowning cats of your deceased would be beloved yeah he's like comically evil only in a very like real and terrifying way yeah um so yeah, I rate her an incredible cat, an incredible companion, a uh, romantic lady friend, and uh, a very fine companion. If nice. I were a ghost for hundreds of years, I hope that I get to have my cat with me too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll I'll go ahead and give my badass lady to Jenny. Um, she's such a great character. As we've said, I've feel that she really flowed through Peter S. Beagle as her own entity. Like she existed out there and he performed the translation of pulling her from the ether and putting mm-hmm. her onto paper. Yeah. Um, I love mm-hmm. her like wise guy tough talk that she uses to intimidate Jenny's the boggart. Yeah. <laughs> and the different modes that she slips between so well um, from being like more vulnerable and sensitive to like being the strong one that is protecting Julian, taking care of Mina, being a great friend, taking care of Tamsin, yeah. like working so hard to help her move on and find peace all the while dealing with a new school and all this schoolwork that's at a totally different level than what she was at being at school in a different country um, and having to do a bunch of farm labor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she, she uh, gets real busy. It's, it's so great when during the, you know, absolute climax of the book, when the wild hunter trampling around and chasing her, that Jenny's like, Evan's going to be like, what the heck happened to my feet? <laughs> <laughs> she's, you know, she's being practical yeah. at the same time as handling all this, you know, stuff, very big real life and metaphysical stuff. Yeah. 
it's it's hard to take on the responsibility of saving a ghost, yeah. which really becomes saving three ghosts because it's Miss Sophia Brown and Tamsin and Edric, yeah, yeah. and taking care of Judge Jeffries. Getting rid of that one. Um, but yeah, we've I mean we've covered it all already. Jenny is she just goes through such a wonderful period of growth, um, and it's alternately painful and fun and heartwarming to witness. Yeah, yeah. My reading for Jenny is a portal from Cambridge to New York so that she can go back and see her friends and see her places and be able to comfortably coexist in two worlds at once. Yeah. Yeah, and so Mr. Cat can see the Siamese hussy. Well, he has a new lady, although Miss Sophia Brown is gone. Yeah. <laughs> a, lot of, a, lot of, a lot of change for yeah. Mr. Cat as well. Yeah, no, it's a true. A lot of upheaval. It's true, he goes through say. a lot. And that's everything for Tamsin by Peter S. Spiegel. It was so good to return to his work. Thank you again, M, for requesting that we cover this. If there is a book you'd like for us to cover, you can email us at dragonbabiespodcast at gmail.com or get in touch on our website, dragonbabiespodcast.com, on our Instagram at dragonbabiespodcast or on our Twitter at dragonbabiespod. And we put... Some of the images we talk about, periodic updates, other things on our social media. So if you want to stay posted during a time like this where we had an unintended break for a month and haven't released anything, follow us. Yeah. Yeah. And if you like weird art, <laughs> follow me on Instagram as well at pig and doodles. That's pig, the letter N doodles. Uh, and uh, I also post pictures of Mary and my dog pig. Check it's a it great out. Account. <laughs> Definitely worth a follow. <laughs> Our next book that we are going to cover is going to be Trickster's Choice. Tamara Pierce. Pierce. Yeah. We haven't yeah. read. Yeah. A Tammy book in a while. So we will hopefully be on a more consistent schedule now. Thank you for putting up with the delay. Um, but a lot of stuff just got in the way, including global warming. It was 109 and Seattle, the metropolitan area of Seattle, I looked it up, has like literally the lowest rate of air conditioning mm -hmm. in their buildings in the country. Yeah. We don't need it. I mean, well, any maybe. Now we're all going to buy air conditioning units. And so. then we'll contribute to the climate crisis <laughs> that we can all just make May. everything worse even faster. Just bake in our own hot soup. Ooh. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much for listening. Um, we truly appreciate all of you. We'll put, uh, yeah, the cover, this gorgeous sketch that Madeline made <laughs> off the cover while we were recording on our website. I had so. a great time. Check it out. Um, and we hope that you are all well and we'll be back soon with more book discussion. Yeah. I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. Until next time. Goodbye.